0: Popular movies of all time that you've probably seen before at some point in your life is the movie The Shawshank Redemption. Released in 1994, the movie tells the story of a man named Andy, who is a young city banker who was sentenced to life in prison for the murder of his wife and her lover. Now, while in prison, Andy meets a guy named Red, and they kind of become friends throughout the course of the movie. And uh, Andy learns a lot from Red, and Red learns a lot from Andy. Now, if you've seen the film, you know it does an incredible job of conveying the emotional and psychological effects upon individuals who spend a lot of time in prison. It's what Red calls in the movie institutionalization. One of the more famous quotes from the movie is when Red is standing right in the middle of the prison yard, and he said, you know, these walls are kind of funny. At first you hate them, then you get used to them, and it's not too long, he said, until you start to depend on them. You see, what Red was saying is that at first you resent being confined to a jail cell, but then over time it just becomes your new normal. You not only get used to living in prison, but it becomes a place of safety and security for you. It's as if you know no different. It's as if you, know, you don't even know what life, behind, but life outside of prison is really like. Now, how would you react if I told you that that describes how a lot of us choose to live day in and day out? I mean, how would you respond if I said that a lot of us are so trapped in life and you've been that way for so long that you can't even comprehend the idea of freedom? Now, I know a lot of people that are in such an unhealthy and enslaving pattern of life that this concept of freedom is something that is so foreign to them that they've just learned to depend upon their enslavement. Last weekend, uh, we kicked off this series called Broken and Free, based out of a book in scripture called Galatians. Now, if you weren't here with us last week, and let me just catch you up to speed in regards to what we've been learning in this letter that was written to a group of churches uh, 2,000 years ago. Now, in chapter one, the author, who is a guy named Paul, writes to these churches because there were some men that had been invading and permeating their gatherings and were declaring that God only accepts you if you clean up your life. He only loves you if you submit to some rules, if you, know, you kind of adhere to this, this, and that, and then he might accept you as a child. And so the whole entire reason Paul wrote this letter was to combat that false teaching by saying that, look, you can't do anything to earn a relationship with God. I mean, we will never get to a point in our life where we deserve it. No, to be connected back to our Creator, Paul says, it's about receiving grace by trusting in what Christ has accomplished for us on the cross. Now, that's what we simply call the gospel of grace. Last weekend, uh, we learned that the gospel is not just the means by which we enter the kingdom of God, but the gospel is really the means by which we live in the kingdom of God as well. In chapter 1, Paul says that we we are welcomed into a relationship with him through his grace. But then he says we also then live in his grace too, which always results in freedom for us. Now in chapter 2, what Paul is going to do is identify those threats that we have in our life to freedom. He's going to expose those walls, those barriers that you and I tend to hide behind that prevent us from living the life that God has in mind for us. Now you see, somewhere along the way, what you and I do in our pursuit of following Jesus is we tend to drift towards enslavement to image, wanting to come across better and more put together than we really are. Now, you see, it's usually a subtle drift on our part that we're unaware of as it's taking place. But you see, once you and I take that step of putting on a front in front of other people, all of a sudden we feel this internal pressure to maintain it because we don't want to go through the discomfort of honesty and vulnerability out of fear of what people would really think if they saw the real us. Now, take a breath for a minute. God can meet us right where we're at today In His grace, one of the other primary reasons why Paul wrote this letter was so that Christians could begin living in this freedom that has been made available to them. But you see, to live in that freedom, it's going to require first seeing what we're up against within ourselves. And so, know this up front today: that one of the greatest threats to our freedom in Christ is the imprisonment of earning, impressing, and and performing in front of others. One of the greatest threats to our freedom in Christ is the imprisonment of earning, impressing, and performing in front of others. I recently came across a rather humorous greeting card that said this. There are only three religious truths in the world today. Jews don't recognize Jesus as the Son of God. Protestants don't recognize the Pope as a source of final spiritual authority in life. And Baptists, Baptists don't recognize each other in the liquor store. Now, that is not a knock on our Baptist brothers and sisters, because you know what? We are all guilty of hiding in hypocrisy in our life. You see, to be a sinner by definition is to also be a hypocrite. Now, let me talk to those of you in here for just a minute who wouldn't yet consider yourself a Christian, and you're very critical of the church. I understand that one of your biggest obstacles that you have in becoming a Christian is that you believe a bunch of believers are just a bunch of hypocrites, right? And some of those criticisms are justifiable. I mean, some of the things that are brought to light in our culture in regards to what we see in Christian circles is just inexcusable. But let me ask you a question. What if following Jesus isn't so much about being right and maintaining a front as it is about simply being forgiven and free? And More oftentimes than not, I would probably put myself in that category of hypocrite. You see, I feel this tension every time I prepare to teach or preach because, you know, before I challenge you with something, I know that I first have to be challenged by it myself and be willing to live it out on a day-to-day basis. And if I can be straight with you for just a moment, there are days and there are weeks when I just fail miserably at living out what I am called to live out. But you see, what I am learning is that in our hypocrisy, in our failures, God can meet us with his grace and lead us to a place of freedom And so if you have your Bibles or Bible app, I want you to go ahead and jump to that New Testament book of Galatians. Um, It's towards the back third of your Bibles, right in between the book of 2 Corinthians and the book of Ephesians. Now, if you don't own a Bible, there is a uh, black Bible right in front of you. If you're worshiping with us back in the chapel, those Bibles are actually in the back uh, towards that door that you came in. And uh, I believe we're going to be on page 824 in those Bibles uh, in front of you. Today we're going to pick up in chapter 2, verse 11, and as you're jumping there, I just want to give you a little bit of context to, to where we're going to pick up today. The writer of this letter, Paul, had journeyed to a place called Jerusalem, the city of Jerusalem, to explain more completely this gospel of grace to church leaders at the time. Now, specifically, Paul made sure that all true church leaders and pastors were unified on the teaching that circumcision or any other rule or law was not essential for salvation. Now, if you don't know what circumcision is, ask your mom or email Ken. (laughs) But the question does beg, why circumcision when it comes to discussions of salvation? Well, you see, back in the Old Testament, this was an act that God required and that he commanded his followers to do so that they remembered that they belonged to him. It was a physical reminder, you see, of a spiritual relationship that they had entered into because of what God had done. And so then when Jesus entered on the scene 2,000 years ago and he proved that he was the better sacrifice who connects us back to God by claiming God, and he didn't just claim it, but he backed it up by crashing his own funeral, you see, every traditional Jew back then who was turning to Christ, they still wanted to uphold those old standards in the old system. But you see, when Christ came, he came because the law doesn't save us from sin, the law only exposes our sin. And so where we pick up today in our text, Paul had returned from Jerusalem comforted that all the church leaders and pastors had agreed to submitting to anything uh, other than Jesus was not mandatory to be made right with God. Now all the church leaders, you need to know this, agreed, including a guy named Peter, who you've probably heard before, a close friend of Jesus, and according to Catholics, he was the very first pope, he agreed to this. Now in our text today, Peter is referred to as Cephas. But Peter's life is about to be discovered. Check out what verse 11 says. Paul says this, When Cephas came to Antioch, again, when Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. Now in just a minute, I'm going to walk you through why Paul opposed Peter to his face. But do you know what you call this right here? Integrity. I want you to notice what the verse doesn't say. It doesn't say when Cephas came to Antioch, Paul gathered a bunch of believers together and said, you'll never believe what Peter did. No, he confronted him to his face in love. And how much freer and healthier of a church would we be if we actually learned to confront one another in love more often? I mean, how much freer of a person would you be if you actually learned to go to those in your life who have maybe wronged you that you love and you have a relationship with and you mustered up the courage just to say, hey, look, I've been holding this against you and I just need you to help me out. You see, I am convinced that a lot of us live in bondage simply because we are unwilling to confront people in our life out of fear of rejection or out of fear of being misunderstood. Let's keep going here. Look at verse 12. Paul says, Paul says, For before certain men came from James, he used to eat with Gentiles. In other words, when nobody was looking, when when his reputation wasn't at stake, Peter ate with Christians who had not been circumcised. All right. Now, in the first century, uh, Middle Eastern culture, who you ate with was a really big deal. Now, for devout Jews, it was this sacred act of worship. In essence, who you ate with was tied to your identity because what you were declaring was that you and those people that you're sharing a meal with, you were one. You see, this is why the Pharisees always had such a difficult time whenever Jesus would eat dinner with prostitutes, sinners, and tax collectors. And so behind closed doors, Peter didn't mind associating with the Gentiles. He knew that they had received grace through faith and were saved. They didn't need to be circumcised in order to validate that. But how did Peter react whenever, whenever some brothers rolled into town that believed differently? Would he stand up for these Gentiles or would he just put on a facade? Let's keep going, verse 12. Paul says, but when they, talking about the teachers, the other church leaders, when they arrived, he, Peter, began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. Verse 13, the other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy. Do you notice how hypocrisy is contagious? It kind of rubs off on those around us. So that by their hypocrisy, Paul says, even Barnabas was led astray. And so what we see happening here is Peter crumbled under pressure and he put on this act. You see, he, put, he imprisoned himself to the opinions of others. Now, within just these few verses, we get an idea of how captivity can occur in our life. Again, it's a subtle drift, but nonetheless, it does happen. The pattern goes like this. Shame leads to acting, acting leads to hypocrisy, and hypocrisy leads to enslavement. Shame leads to acting, acting to hypocrisy, hypocrisy to enslavement. Now, when the first century Christians who believed that you needed to submit to Jewish rules in order to be saved came to Peter, he feared what they were going to think, all right? And so Peter didn't want them to know that he had associated with so-called unclean and contaminated Christians by eating with them. Therefore, his shame, his embarrassment in front of them motivated him to just put on an act like he didn't know them. Back in 2008, uh, my older sister, Rebecca, was dared by a friend to try out for American Idol. Now, the auditions were in Louisville for that summer, and so she decided to take them up on that dare. Now, you need to know something, that my sister is a horrible singer. All right? Now, she knows it, and she's not the least bit insecure about it. I mean, Rebecca is to singing what Todd Bussey is to telling jokes. All right? <laughs> And so she decided to try out for American Idol, and she wanted to portray and take on the identity of those people that you see on the show. And when you hear them and you see them, you think, who in the world ever encouraged that person to pick up a microphone? You know what I'm talking about? And so not wanting to fake her inadequacies when it comes to singing, she decided to embrace it and put on an act as if she thought she was really good at singing. And so check this video clip out of Rebecca Garcia's Earlier acting today, debut. Rebecca got a boost from the morning news. Rebecca Garcia, you're a Louisville girl. How are you going to dazzle them today? Um, you know, I just like I've always loved singing and um, I don't know. I'm just going to get up there and do my best. Well, good luck in there. All it's right. Really from uh, Churchill Downs. Keith Kaiser, Fox 41 News. Hello. Hello. I know who you are. You do? I saw you on the news this morning. I was on the news. You saw me? I saw you. Oh. That's hilarious. Okay, uh, so your name is? Rebecca Garcia. Rebecca Garcia. What's yeah. on your arm? Um, yeah. yeah. Cheap Cheat-cheat. It is kind of a cheat-cheat. Okay, honestly, I was just afraid I'd get up here and be too nervous. I forget the lyrics. I know that really hurts (sighs) you, so. Right, Rebecca, what are you going to I'm going to sing Carrie Underwood before he cheats. Good. Right now, he's probably slow dancing with a bleached blonde tramp and she's probably getting frisky. Right now, he's probably up behind her with the pool stick showing her how to shoot a combo. I dug my keys into oh the side God. of his pretty little souped up four-wheel drive. Check your arm. Check your arm, yeah. Wait a minute, don't wait, don't wait a wait. minute, wait a minute. She was voted most humorous in high school. Mm. Oh, this is we. all starting to make sense. That was good. Funny. <laughs> that, that wasn't supposed Are to be. Are you saying this was a joke? I, yeah. Yeah. Wasn't it? Was it? No. Rebecca? No. Look at me. No? Oh. Oh boy, it did say voted most true. Rebecca, sweetheart, you know I'm what? sorry, sweetheart. Don't God. get too, don't get too upset here, because you know what? I can pretty much tell you don't go to many auditions, right? I was I pretty nervous. You know what, Paula? Just hit me. Why? Because I was mean. No, I'm I surprised bad, I expected sweetie. him I thought, to be I... mean. <laughs> so did I. Okay, look, Rebecca, I like you as a person. I can tell you a trillion percent do not attempt to have a career in music. <laughs> I've, I've done something. <laughs> mm. I told you she was a horrible singer, but a great actor, you know, actress. Now, Rebecca would tell you that uh, it required her passing through several rounds of judges before she could actually stand before Paula and Randy and Care there in front of all the TV cameras. And she would tell you that with each round that she passed through, her uh, ability to act was put more and more to the test. She felt increased pressure the further along in the process that she went. And she almost cracked a few times, as you saw on there. Uh, Carol, one of the judges, asked her about being voted most humorous in high school. That caught Rebecca totally off guard. Apparently, American Idol did some research and accused her of acting. And in that moment, she didn't know what to do because she thought that she had been discovered. And so she just kind of clammed up and ended up crying and kind of rolling with it there uh, in the moment. But you know, for that brief moment, she feared that her act had been discovered on national television for everyone to see. I mean, it was a big fear of her going through this whole process. And I know that many of us, we come in here week in and week out, and we have that same fear of being exposed because we don't want people around us to know who we really are. You act sincere, but you lack compassion. You act spiritual, but your heart is nowhere near God. You act as if you're strong and in control, but deep down you have a lot of doubts. When people ask you how you're doing, you say, oh, I'm blessed, but last night you cussed out one of your kids and completely obliterated them. You see, you and I, we feel sometimes this temptation, if we're honest, to put on this act, to put on a mask and be someone that we're not. And so we have to ask ourselves, why do we do this? Well, it goes down to shame. We don't like who we've become. We're embarrassed by the mess that we've made of our life. And so like Peter, when we get around a group of people, do you know what we do? We put on an act. Well, let me illustrate it this way. The little circle up here on the screen represents who you are as a person. This represents your passions, your personality, who God has created you to be. It represents your soul. All right. Now because of sin and bad decisions in your life and living in a, um, a fallen world, what we do is we begin to experience shame. And so we all have shame in here, right? Maybe your shame comes from having same-sex attraction. Your shame is maybe a divorce that you went through. Maybe it is the result of you know, hearing your dad's voice ringing in your head over and over again, and you feel as if you just don't measure up because of what he told you growing up. And your shame is maybe being let go from a job, or it's this feeling like you just can't do enough for God. We all have shame in our life. And so our natural reaction to fix this problem that we know that we have is what we would simply call our false self. This is kind of the facade that we put on. This is our attempt to hide. And so your false self might be making a lot of money. Sometimes we hide behind our intellect or uh, portraying ourselves to be really smart. Some of us, we, you know, bury ourselves in work or over a hobby. Maybe you're always the guy who has to crack funny jokes and getting people to laugh. Your false self is always being right no matter what you're talking about. And so because of our shame, we portray a false impression of who we are. And you see, Jesus, he not only calls us to drop the act, But when he went through the crucifixion, he absorbed the reason why we feel the the need to act in the first place. Ironically, uh, Peter says it like this in 1 Peter chapter 2. He says, the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Jesus didn't die a private death. Jesus didn't die in a noble manner. No, Jesus died in a gruesome way for everyone to see so that we would realize and understand and be grateful for that he was shamed for us. And so the truth is, we don't have to carry it around with us any longer. We're free from that. Now, it's for this very reason that in the future, I envision our church being a freer place where we can release our shame. I envision our church being this place where we don't have to measure up against one another. I want us to be known as a people where it's okay to ask for help and go and see a counselor if you need to. May we always be known as a people where we will meet people right where they're at in life, but we love them so much that we are going to walk them through the long process of healing, restoration, and freedom. I love this church. I mean, it is such a privilege to be a part of this place. But I have to tell you, what keeps me up at night and what gets me out of bed in the morning is just wondering, dreaming, and pondering where God can take us in the future. I mean, how can the kingdom of God continue to grow through crossroads if we simply model grace and truth with our life, if we continue to exalt Jesus Christ, if we continue to proclaim his word, if we remain humble and hungry for what's next? You see, may we always be a hospital for the sick so that we can introduce people to the great physician. Now pick back uh, up here in Galatians, Um, Peter had been obviously publicly shamed, uh, he had publicly shamed the Gentile converts by rejecting their fellowship once the other guys got to town. And so Paul, what he did was he publicly shamed Peter. And take a look at verse 14. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in front of them all, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then, he says, that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? And you see, Peter was forcing Gentiles to live like Jews. This is what we would call legalism. You see, legalism is taking one thing that God said and and building rules and boundaries around it in an effort to keep it. It's really all about pride. It's all about what we can control, masked, masked as Obedience to God. You see, it's a learn, it's it's about learning just enough of the rules to make you think and deceive yourself into thinking that you have a relationship with God when the truth is it's non existent. Jesus said that legalism is nothing but something that you bound around your neck and it's just a burden that you carry. <laughs> Check out verse fifteen. We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. And so we too, Paul says, have put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, he says. Because by the works of the law, no one will be justified Now, Paul talks a lot here about a concept called justification. Now, this is central to Christianity. That word is actually a legal term and conveys the idea that a person is put on trial and is no longer able to pay the penalty that he or she is being charged for. Now, justification is not just about being dismissed from that crime, from that punishment, but it also entails receiving all the benefits and privileges as if the law had been kept perfectly. And so Paul reminded Peter right here in our text that acceptance had nothing to do with circumcision. Acceptance before God had nothing to do with eating or abstaining from certain foods or drinks or observing the Sabbath. No, being made right with God is all about Christ's work on our behalf, not our work on God's behalf. Daniel Montgomery uh, is a pastor out of Louisville. He says it like this in, in a book that he wrote. He said, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ... Your deeds no longer determine your destiny. We realize that some of you may not be convinced. Perhaps you've spent several years trying to earn your wings on the well-worn path of pleasing and performing. It started in your childhood with the adhesive stars on your Sunday school charts, each star signifying a visitor that you brought or a verse memorized, and the echoes of applause when you perfectly recited your part in the church play. And when you consider the appalling claim. That your righteousness rates no higher than a sleazy pimp or toothless meth addict who's just turned to Christ. Your gut reaction is to blurt out, but that's not fair. And you're right, he says. It isn't fair, it's better than fair. It's grace. Only grace can break those chains of slavery. And yet I know a lot of your stories, we walk through life, we hide, and we live in enslavement. Again, as old Red said in the Shawshank Redemption, these walls are kind of funny. At first you hate them, then you get used to them. Enough time passes and you depend on them. And so we learn to depend on our image. We learn to depend on our works. So how do we move forward? Well, Paul goes on to say it like this in verse 20. He says, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Verse 21, I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be attained, could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. Now, these two verses seem to be pretty confusing. You might assume that once you become a Christian, that you automatically kind of accidentally step into a free life. But that's not the idea that Paul is getting at here. He's saying that we are to live out our life on the basis that Christ's work on our behalf is done. Now, here's the thing. Only when you and I see ourselves as loved, accepted, righteous, and holy in Jesus, well, we have the ability and the motivation to live freely as Christ intends for us to live. Remember what we learned last week? Freedom happens through dependence. And you see, many of us we we are saved, but we're living in bondage, right? You have secrets no one knows about. You feel like a fraud. You feel as if your shame makes you to be someone that you're not. You want to be free. Patrick, I I, I want to forgive others in my life who have hurt me. I want to be absent of addictions. You're just not proud of who you've become. You don't want to be so insecure about being single. You want to move beyond the doubts that you've had for years. You don't want to be selfish and self-righteous. But but the question is, Patrick, how? Now, I wish that I could give you 12 steps to a better life. (laughs) But what I do know is that you and I, we can't put to death what you don't acknowledge is there to begin with. And so our struggles, I've learned this from my own life, they lose their grip when we pull them out to light, even if it's kicking and screaming. And this will be a journey for a lot of us, but my experience has been that this will be a good place for not just not only for us to start, but for us to remain if we're serious about this whole freedom thing. And so if that's where you're at, here's what it comes down to. Freedom prevails over enslavement at the moment of our honesty. Freedom prevails over enslavement at the moment of our honesty. You see, you cannot be free until you are broken over what's broken inside you. And the evidence of your brokenness is seen by your ability to be honest and drag what's in the dark to light. i got to tell you, as one of your pastors, one of my biggest fears is that many of us are so good at faking it that it's paid off and we really see no need to change or repent because you know what? We've just gotten away with it in life. About a year ago, I was hanging out with some friends of mine down in Kentucky and about an hour into a conversation that we were having out on my parents' back patio, a friend of mine got really vulnerable and transparent and talked about uh, a battle with pornography that he had had about a year before well, when he first realized that he was knee-deep into an addiction, he, he confessed his sin to his wife, and justifiably so, she was really, really upset, but she learned to, to forgive him and move past it. But then it happened again. And he said, Patrick, I just felt so ashamed when I realized my sin that I remembered thinking I would rather die than have to confess, confess to this and be honest to my wife about it all over again for a second time. Well, eventually the guilt and burden was just too much for him to carry. He and his wife were out to dinner one night, and he just had a moment of brutal honesty about his addiction. And you know what? It didn't go too well for him. She didn't know if she could ever trust him again. They ended up separating bedrooms for a time. But you see, as he walked in repentance and he remained transparent with guys in his life that were a part of his church, and he remained open and honest with himself and with his wife, their marriage began down a process of slow restoration, and to this day they're doing really well. But when I asked him what it was that finally made him crack, do you know what he told me? He said, I realized that I needed to be open and honest with my wife when I finally got past the temporary discomfort of being vulnerable because I was tired of just being a slave to my secrets for so long. And that's where a lot of us are at today. One of our pastors on staff says it like this, that you're only as healthy as your biggest secret. And so maybe today is a day of freedom for you. You know, last weekend I challenged you to begin praying a prayer that went like this, God, expose my brokenness so that I may experience your freedom. And I don't know if you've been doing that. I have. And you know what? It's been really painful. I mean, I've seen what's inside me. I've realized how insecure I can be at times. But do you know when I'm freest? I'm freest when I am honest with my wife, when I am open and honest with God, when I'm honest with myself, when I'm honest with our counseling pastor, Coy Walters, who I see every other week. Yes, I need all the help in the world I can get. All right? But I'm learning, I, I'm, I'm a mess, but I'm also learning to be content. I'm learning to experience the joy that comes when we enter into a relationship with Christ. And so today, again, may be your day to step towards freedom. I tell you all that because I want to end our time today by just having moments of, of our personal honesty. I've shared my brokenness so that you know that this is a safe place and no perfect people are here. (laughs) Now this time of honesty is solely, I want you to know, between you and God. And if you're sitting at the ends of the rows, I want you to go ahead and pass those little cards to everyone there in your row and the pins as well. What I'm going to do here for the next few moments is I'm going to ask you just some personal questions, and if if your answer is yes to these questions, you just mark off or check off the the box yes there, and if the answer is no, you just mark no. Again, this is completely confidential and is intended intended to be a way for you to begin down a pathway of honesty so that you can experience freedom. You're only hurting yourself if you're not honest. Now some of what you say yes to, this is really important to understand, some of what you say yes to here in just a few minutes may be sin in your life. Some of what you say yes to, it's not sinful, but it's just struggles. It's a burden that you're carrying around. So don't put your name on the cards. We want this to remain anonymous. Again, this is between you and the Lord. I'm go ahead and take your pen out and paper, and, and let's just go through these questions together. I think this is going to become a moment where a lot of us, we break away from pretending. (laughs) and We find freedom in Christ. Question number one, have you struggled with fear or anxiety? I know I have. Number two, do you have anything in your life that you regret? It's a yes for me. three, have you ever struggled with depression? Again, that's another one. That's me. I've been there before. Number four, do you have anything in your life that you're constantly ashamed of? Number five, do you ever get so angry that you want to hit something or someone? Number six, have you ever been physically abused or been physically abusive to someone? Number seven, have you ever thought about or attempted suicide before? Number eight, have you ever cut yourself or intentionally harmed yourself? Number nine, have you ever had a sexual relationship with someone who wasn't your spouse? Number 10, do you have secrets that no one knows about? Number 11, do you have anything in your life that you just can't stop doing? 12 do you struggle with thoughts attractions or temptations that you know are outside of what God declares as true and right number 13 have you ever lied to someone in an effort to hide your actions I really believe that for some of us something supernatural just happened See, in our honesty, in our brokenness, when we're aware of what's going on, then we can begin experiencing freedom. I'm going to pray for us. We're going to continue worshiping, uh, and then I'm going to tell you what what you need to do with those cards, okay? Let's pray. God, I thank you that uh, what we just said yes to in these past few moments, stuff in our life that you already know, God, sometimes the biggest barrier for us living in freedom is ourselves. So Lord, would you just continue giving us the courage to be honest and vulnerable and transparent with one another. And God, would you teach us day in and day out to live in the freedom that Christ has paid on our behalf. So God, most importantly, I thank you that it is done, that ultimately our freedom when it comes to our salvation isn't contingent upon what we do, but it's all about what's already done. And I'm grateful for that today. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. I know that today's been a little bit heavy. What, what we're going to do with those cards, I want you to, um, as the band sings a song here called Lord I Need You, I want you to take those cards and just put them in the bins up here uh, throughout the course of this worship song. If you're worshiping with us back in the chapel, those bins are at the very front. I believe we also have some uh, boxes there on uh, near, near the worship center walls here. Um, But I want you to picture yourself as you take those cards and you put them in the bin. I want you to picture yourself really just giving over your burdens, your sin, your struggles over to Christ. Because again, I really believe something supernatural has just happened. It's a good place to start for a lot of us. The words of this song are, are really impactful and maybe it'll just mean something completely different to you. So whenever you feel ready, whenever you're ready to be courageous and come forward and put those in the bins... Uh, You do that, and then just go back to your seat, we're going to worship together as a church family. Don't leave yet. I know there's a temptation to think, oh, it's over. Well, we we still have communion to do because uh, we want to end on a a good note, Uh, but let's go ahead and stand up, okay? Let's worship together, and when you're ready, you, you bring those cards forward.